When I first got started as an influencer and content creator, the goal was really to just have a place to share my creativity. I never thought that I could turn it into a full-time job, so I really didn't have any expectations to do that. About one year into my intentionally creating content for Instagram, I was able to quit my full-time job and live off of the money that I was bringing in from partnerships. A year after that is when SocialMate was born. I unexpectedly was able to start a legitimate company because of the influence and following that I had built through this hobby of just sharing my outfit photos. I think that most creators go through the same process of starting content creation as a hobby and then finding themselves building legitimate businesses and even starting companies because of the success that they're having. Creators are able to start beauty brands, clothing companies, restaurants, real estate companies, lifestyle brands, they're writing books, and so much more. Moral of the story, being an influencer provides the opportunity for you to really soar further than just sharing content on social media. It opens up doors and it allows you to fuel your passions. I'm Kristen Busquet and I've been a full-time creator for over three years and have brought in over $350,000 from sponsored posts and content creation collaborations with brands so far. Social Scoop is the podcast where we teach you, the entrepreneurial creator, to turn your online influence and creativity into a profitable, self-sustaining business. Today, we're here with someone I really look up to, Natalie Barbeau, a YouTuber turned CEO. After growing her following to over 360,000 people, she wanted to create a tool to help other creators like her, which led her to founding Rella, a management tool made for influencers to run their businesses. But going from creator to CEO had its challenges. She had to find a solution to a problem that people would actually use. She had to build a strong relationship with her co-founders, build a legitimate app, get funding through investors, and honestly, just balancing all of this with content creation and posting consistently. Today, we're diving into everything you need to know about turning your online influence into a profitable, self-sustaining business. How do you balance multiple streams of income? How do you know when it's the right time to pivot your business? How can you find the right people to work with? And what's the process of building a legitimate company actually look like? We're giving you the scoop on all things becoming a CEO. This, my biz BFF, is Social Scoop. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 47 of Social Scoop. I'm Kristen Busquet, and I'm so, so excited that you're here. For those who do not know, this was a very, very eventful weekend for me. I, on Friday, I got married. I had my wedding that we have literally been planning for what feels like a thousand years. I literally went insane planning this wedding. I was so stressed and it was just honestly so much that I'm low-key excited that it's over for planning purposes, but I'm so sad that it's over because I just had so much fun and it was so awesome to just be surrounded by all of my friends and family and honestly, just everything was perfect. Like it was the most amazing day of my life. Everyone says that about their wedding, but like I get it. I get it now. So I am like riding a high right now. My voice probably sounds a little crazy. I've been screaming for literally days and days with like all of the fun and dancing and all of the things. So this is my reminder. I feel like after this weekend, I'm just like so filled with love. Like if you have friends that you haven't talked to in a while or family that you haven't talked to in a while, reach out to them, like reconnect with some of these people because I had so many people that I just haven't talked to in so long and I miss them so much. So it was awesome to be able to reconnect with people. So there's my challenge for you for the week. It's just like reconnect with some people that maybe you miss or maybe like you just, you feel like you haven't talked to them in a while. If you are a content creator listening to this right now and you are listening to this episode because you're like, I want to start a business. Like I'm sick of my nine to five. I'm ready to do something bigger and better and do something that I love every single day. You have got to check out the Social Mate monthly creator membership. 
Every single week, we share a ton of really great resources. We give you the weekly reels, trending sounds. We have exclusive podcast episodes that go into this membership, as well as access to a community of 50 plus other creators. We do monthly live Q&As. You get a free intro call when you enroll. And honestly, it's just everything that you need in order to become a successful creator bundled into one membership. I basically built this membership thinking, what did I need when I was getting started and like really trying to like turn this into a business? And that's everything that I put into the membership. So you can check out the link in the description in the show notes down there and join us. It's a lot of fun. I'm really excited to see you there. All right, guys, Instagram is working on the ability to add a button to your post. This is one of the new things that Instagram is working on right now. So when you're about to hit share on your post, you're on that screen where you can add a location, you can tag people, you will see an add a button prompt. Now, again, this is just in testing, so you won't actually see it right now. But when it actually comes to fruition, you'll see an add a button prompt. And so the options as of right now are to send a message via Instagram send a message via WhatsApp or book an appointment. So if you're a business who has appointments, this is actually, I think this is going to be huge. I think this will be really great. Also, I can see myself kind of using this with like the whole send a message on Instagram kind of thing, because I know that DMs are so important to Instagram right now. So any other call to action that I can include that is like in front of people's faces saying, send me a DM, send me a DM, like I'm going to use it. So I actually am really excited for this. So if you see it, and we can finally use it, send me a message, click that button and let's talk in the DMs. Also, this is something that we talked about Honestly, it feels like a very long time ago they were testing this. 60-second stories are officially here. So there was a small group of people that had this test. And I remember when people got it because everyone was kind of freaking out. (laughs) And so basically, it is available for everyone now. So videos up to 60 seconds long on stories will no longer be broken up into segments. And I realized this because the other day I was recording a video and as I was holding down the button, the circle was going so slowly around and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. And then I realized once I kept talking, it was it was just like a longer segment. So you have 60 seconds in one slide now to speak what you need to speak. Now, if it's longer than 60 seconds, that's where it will start into a new slide or you may actually just have to like start recording again. Honestly, I haven't talked more than 60 seconds. So surprisingly, I haven't gotten there yet. But if you're confused about what's going on when you are talking, you're like, why isn't this 15 second timer going around faster? That's why 60 second stories are officially here. Now, for all of my YouTube people, YouTube just announced a new monetization program for shorts creators. Shameless plug. If you didn't know, we actually started a YouTube channel about three-ish weeks ago, and we've been consistently posting different videos for you guys. And um, I would love for you to check it out. Give us a little subscribe there. I have been working so hard to create awesome videos for you all on topics that you've asked me for before. So hope you guys love that. But for anyone else who is interested in YouTube or even just hopping on shorts in general, they are offering new monetization options. So I'm just going to literally read you word for word what it says. Starting in early 2023, shorts-focused creators can apply to the YouTube Partner Program by meeting a threshold of 1,000 subscribers and 10 million shorts views over 90 days. And again, like I'm just hopping on shorts, so I don't know if that's like crazy or not. It sounds really crazy, but I feel like YouTube is like pretty reasonable, so maybe it's not. (laughs) So these new partners will enjoy all of the benefits our program offers, including the various ways to make money like ads on long form and fan funding. In shorts, ads run between videos in the shorts feed. So every month, revenue from these ads will be added together and used to reward shorts creators and help cover costs of music licensing. From the overall amount allocated to creators, they will keep 45% of the revenue. That's huge. And that is distributed based on their share of the total shorts views. The revenue share remains the same no matter if they use music or not. So 45% of the revenue is 
huge guys. I mean, think about like Instagram that I know of has never released any sort of numbers like this saying, this is how much money of our revenue we're actually sharing. And again, like with Instagram, like we know with the bonus programs and things like that, like we're never actually making legitimate money. So I'm really, really excited. This is a huge incentive for you to get on shorts. Honestly, I think at this point, from what I've heard from everyone else who is very consistent on shorts and has been like, Chris, put your videos on there. You're crazy. Literally just taking videos from reels and from TikTok without the watermark and just popping them onto shorts is the move right now. So if you're not already doing that, it will take you five extra minutes in your day. And I think it would be worth it, especially because you can start to build up your presence on shorts so that in early 2023, when this new monetization program is released, you're already like ready for it. So Definitely would recommend looking into that if you are already creating short form video content, which you probably are. We've got a couple new things with TikTok as well. Right now, they're rolling out comment down votes to all users. So basically, you'll be able to thumbs down a comment. You probably have seen something similar to this on Reddit, but unlike down votes on Reddit, TikTok is actually using this feature as an indicator as a means to weed out negative behaviors. So these dislikes the count of them will not show publicly as they would on Reddit, but it's basically just for the internal team on TikTok to say, wow, this comment has a lot of downvotes. It's probably really negative, maybe bullying, maybe it's, you know, not correct information that's being, you know, thrown around, whatever it is, when it's getting downvotes, it will flag that to the internal team at TikTok so that they can like decide if it's a, a comment that should basically stay or not stay. But it's not like if you leave a comment and a bunch of people don't like it, you're going to get like a thousand thumbs down and then you're going to look at it and be like, oh my God, a thousand people hated me. You actually won't be able to see these dislike counts. Also, TikTok now has a video description character limit of 2.2K characters. Again, this is huge. So I'm going to read this to you word for word so you can get it all of the information correctly. So you can now type up to 2,200 characters in your post description. This allows you to express more details about your creations, describing what your video shows, giving you the opportunity to get closer to your audience, generate more engagement while becoming more searchable and better recommended by TikTok to viewers. SEO on TikTok, guys, is just more important than ever right now. So many people are using TikTok to search for things like restaurants to eat at or what to do when in Hawaii or whatever it is. And so when you use a lot of search engine optimization keywords in your description of the videos and even in the video of itself, that is going to basically file into all of the search results of what people are searching on TikTok. So again, because so many people are going to TikTok versus something like Google to search for where to eat in Charlotte, North Carolina, you want to have where to eat in Charlotte, North Carolina in the caption of your photo if that's what it's about. So it's going to come up in more search results, making your video and your profile more discoverable, which obviously like this is how we grow a platform. So SEO keep it in mind. It is incredibly important. And now you have so much more space on TikTok to shove keywords in there where they make sense. So keep that in mind. Also, let me know, guys. Send me a DM. I would love to do an episode about SEO and dive into it a little bit further. We did one previously with Austin Tussone where we dove into that just a bit. So you can check that one out if you want to get kind of the starter course there. But we definitely want to do uh, an episode on that. So let me know if that's something that you would be interested in. For my content creator friends, you can join over 800 other creators in finding all the resources that you need, get your questions answered by your peers, and really just have this amazing community in our Facebook group. So people are sharing rates. We are helping each other connect with brands, telling about our experiences as creators, and really just kind of having this go-to community to help each other out. So it's a free community on Facebook to connect with everyone. The link is in the show notes and in the description, so you can check that out. And I hope to see you guys there. Without further ado, I'm so excited for this conversation with Natalie. She is such an inspiration. And if you haven't checked out Rella yet, make sure you do that. Let me know how you guys enjoy this conversation and I will see you guys next week. 
As creators, you guys know that building a business is pretty much the goal at the end of the day, whether that business is to be a creator or you have a different path that you want to go down. Most of the time, creators are creators so that they can monetize in some sort of way. So I'm so excited to have Natalie here today who's going to tell us all about YouTube and how she started to monetize her online influence. So Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course. Okay, so for anyone who doesn't know, I would love to have you kind of just start off by telling us a little bit about you and your background and kind of what you do now. I actually have been a creator since 2011, so very long time. I feel like it's such a big part of my life. I can't imagine myself without, you know, being a creator, without being on social media, but started on YouTube back then in the beauty guru days and did it all throughout high school, college, even post-grad and was able to quit my job after college to do social media full-time. So it took me quite a while to make it so that it could be my full-time job, but I've been doing it full-time for the past three years. I had started a podcast as well where I interview entrepreneurs, creators, anyone that really inspires me and I can share their story. And I also started my own startup, which is called Rella, and it's a digital workspace for creators to manage their entire business in one place. So anything from content planning to connecting all your social media accounts, we're adding invoicing, revenue projections, revenue insights, comprehensive analytics, media kits, like literally think of the operating system for your business. That's what we're building and we're really excited for it. And so that's taken up a lot of my time too, but I'm still on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, all the things and still love being a creator. Like it's my, it's the best job and I'm so grateful that I get to do it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've just had such a wild ride and you are doing so many different things, but I feel like as creators, it's really hard to just do one thing. (laughs) So I think that's pretty, pretty standard for creators across the board. So you got started in YouTube, right? That's from what I understand. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear like how you even got started on YouTube and like what that whole process was like. I mean, this was 2011 too. So who knows how different it is today, but I'm really curious to hear how you got started. Yeah, it's definitely different today. But I mean, I started it because I just wanted I thought it was a great creative outlet. And I thought it was fun. Like at that point, no one was making money on social media. So it wasn't like I started with the intention of being a business, which I think a lot of people today start with the intention of it being a business, which is great. Like there's nothing wrong with that at all. I actually encourage people to start with that in mind. But it was just such a different landscape back then. So I started because I had watched other creators around my age do, you know, makeup videos and room tours and makeup hauls. And I just thought it was so fascinating. And this was the first time I think most people had seen, you know, like user generated content, if you will, like before that was a thing, but it was normal people creating content. It wasn't, you know, QVC or that's like a TV show or, you know, the style network or like anything like that. Like it wasn't these, like it wasn't curated and it wasn't, something that was like you had to apply to like get on TV and share your opinions. Like this was real people just filming in their rooms and uploading. And I was fascinated by it. I loved it. I was like, oh my God, these girls look like me. I think I can do this. Like, why not? So I I had a laptop at the time and it was like one of the older MacBooks, like the laptops. And I had photo booth on it. So I had photo booth. I forgot about photo booth. Yeah. (laughs) Recorded my first video ever on photo booth. Um, It was a makeup tutorial. So you can imagine 2011 quality laptop cameras. (laughs) Not that great, especially for a makeup tutorial, which I feel like you should probably have better quality. Yeah. (laughs) But I just loved it. I was like, I can do this. And so I started filming on photo booth. I edited it on iMovie. And like within a few hours, I uploaded it to YouTube. And whenever I would see like anyone view it or comment, which like at the time, I think I had like 30 views on the video. Like it was like really little. Right. I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe 30 people are watching this. Like it was like (laughs) insane. I had three comments. I remember the first day and I was just like, this is wild. Like who are these people? Right. Definitely was not like stranger danger for me. Like I was like so excited to like talk to people on the internet And I remember I didn't tell anyone. So I didn't tell my parents, didn't tell my siblings, didn't tell anyone that I was doing this for like (laughs) a few weeks, I think. So I'd like secretly film in my room and edit and upload. And then like a few weeks later, 
I pulled my mom aside and I was like, I have to tell you something. And she was like, oh my God, like what? Like, and I'm scared. <laughs> and I was like, I started a YouTube channel and I'm like posting videos on there. And they were super Aww. supportive. So it worked out. <laughs> I love that. That's It's so funny because I'm surprised that your parents weren't like, oh my God, no, you can't put yourself on the internet. Because like 2011 internet is so, was so different than the internet is today. I feel like it's actually like safer now because you can like, you know, like when you're starting connections with people, like it's really hard to get catfished now because like there's so many like live videos and like we're FaceTime. You know what I mean? But like 2011, <laughs> internet was like a different place. I know that was like when people would go on like Omegle, I feel like, and like yes. talk to strangers on the Chat internet roulette. too, where it was weird. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, that was the age. I remember I would have like sleepovers with my friends and yep. we'd be like, let's go on Omegle. It's like... <laughs> At that age, oh, we should yeah. not have been doing that. No, not at all. <laughs> it was that time period. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's totally a different world back then. So you started posting your videos on YouTube. You were posting beauty stuff. Now, is when you had like more beauty focused content, is that when you were really starting to build your community? How did you like how did you start building a community? Yeah, my community definitely was like a slow and steady build. So I remember I started it my going into my sophomore year of high school. When I was going into college, I was still doing beauty and fashion mainly. That was like the type of stuff I was filming. Yeah. And I went into college with 12,000 subscribers. So it was a good bit, but it wasn't That's like good, yeah. crazy, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that much. And um once I got to college, I kept doing like fashion videos, but I also transitioned a little bit towards college content, like college day in my life and like yeah college supplies, like what to buy for college, back to school stuff. And that did well. And then once I started posting like vlogs and like showing my daily life and showing my personality more, that's when I think I started building like a more genuine community because it, instead of just being like, here's what I bought at Sephora or here's, you know, a back to school haul, right. it, people got to know me. And so that's when I think my community really formed was when I started posting about my college experience, when I got a job, when I got, you know, when I started just sharing more of my yeah. personal life, I started forming like a really strong community. And at this time, were you also on other platforms as well? Like, were you using Instagram and stuff then? Yeah. So by, by the time college came around, I was using Instagram. So Instagram was another platform. But Instagram didn't have stories, I don't think, at the time. I don't remember when stories happened, but it was harder to be personal on Instagram. So yeah. Instagram was still more like fashion content. Right, exactly. Yeah, Instagram, I want to say stories maybe came out, what, like maybe 2015, 2016? Maybe even later than that, honestly. But it feels weird to think about Instagram without stories. I know. I just remember it being a big deal. I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is so dumb. They're copying Snapchat. Because I remember telling people to follow me on Snapchat, which now my Snapchat is like oh, yeah. just my friends. Like I barely use it. But if I do, it's like yeah. solely friends and personal. But right. in, I remember telling people that for a while. So I think, I think it was like my senior year or something when yeah. stories came out. 2017, 2016, I don't know. Yeah, so it's got to be somewhere around there. But it's so crazy to think about now how, I don't know about you, but I know when I get on my Instagram to like scroll as a user, I really don't scroll through my feed very much. I'm I'm very much like a stories watcher or sometimes I actually will like use my explore page, but I really rarely scroll through my feed. Like almost never. It sounds really bad, but I think it's true for a lot of people. I agree. And I definitely, I scroll through Instagram usually when I am just like bored, like really quickly, like scrolling through yeah. and I don't have my volume on. And now that like reels is like taking over the feed mm -hmm. there, I, I never have my volume on. So I don't really like, like to scroll through Instagram. Yeah. Like the feed. I, that's why I mainly do stories also. Yeah, it's I feel like I just read something the other day that was like you it was maybe like 70 or 80 percent of people are scrolling with their sound off. So everything obviously should be optimized for people listening without sound. Um, but I'm the same way. And it's interesting to see like the shift that Instagram specifically is making where like they are focusing on so much more video content. And even to think back then how stories was kind of like a copy of Snapchat. Now we have everything as a copy of TikTok. They're even doing some like stuff from Be Real like recently. So I feel like Instagram has kind of built its entire platform just on taking little features from other places and putting them into Instagram. Totally. And people like I, I don't think they're going away anytime soon just because everyone has their community on there and their followers. And 
it's really annoying to have to rebuild that somewhere else. Like, yeah, I don't want another social media network because I don't want to have to rebuild my following on that network. Yeah, Starting from zero is it's intimidating. It's if I had to start from zero, I always say like if my account ever got hacked and I, I was like down to zero, I probably just I couldn't even put the work in to start from scratch again. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, though, did you you had already kind of like built this community on YouTube and then you were, you know, starting to move on to a little bit Instagram. And I'm sure now you're on TikTok, you know, like all these different platforms. Did a lot of your community on Instagram and on TikTok come from YouTube? Definitely. YouTube has been my biggest platform and it still is my biggest platform. I mean, I definitely have been like prioritizing other things right now. But I still love YouTube and it's still something that I really enjoy doing. But I will say that most people have come from YouTube. Like YouTube is what grew my community for sure. Yeah. How do you find it is to kind of like bring people from one platform over to the other? Like, did you do that by organically just kind of like mentioning, oh, and on my Instagram or like make sure you follow my Instagram or whatever? Like, how did you successfully bring people from one platform to another? Yeah, I I did tell people about the other platforms to follow me. And that always brings a wave of people. But honestly, I think the biggest thing is being personable and having people think of you as their friend, because you're going to follow your friend across all platforms. Right. So that I think helps more because I know I like when I find a new TikTok creator, if I start when I first follow someone on TikTok, I don't automatically go to their Instagram. I have to see them a ton of times, start to really like them, start to be like excited for their content. And then I'm like, oh, I want to follow them on Instagram. And then I'll look at their Instagram because I started to like them as a person. And I started to feel like I have some sort of like relationship with them, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. So I'll then go and follow them across other platforms. So I actually think, yes, call to actions are important. And I do think I do recommend them like saying, hey, follow me on Instagram to see this. Yeah. Or if you're a fashion person on TikTok, you know, you can say like, follow me on Instagram to see how I style these or see my photos, you know. Right. Of course, like things like that are, are important. But ultimately, the way people scroll and the way people like use social media, it's very personal now. And so you have to be personal to your followers, even if you don't actually know them in real life. Yeah, I completely agree with this. Do you find that you had kind of like, trouble, I guess, putting yourself out there there at first. Cause I know a lot of the people that I work with now, a lot of my students are like, oh, you know, like I just, I'm not like super comfortable. Like, I don't know what to share. Like, I don't know how to like get people to know me. So do you feel like you had kind of a struggle with that at first? Um, honestly, not really. Like I felt like I, because I grew up with social media from such a young age, I actually think it was pretty normal for me. And I was always someone that was like obsessed with the camera. Like we have so many home videos from when I was little where I'm (laughs) always wanting to be in front of the camera and doing things. And so I think I've just always really liked it. And it's been very like natural for me to be just myself on camera. Like I've, I don't think anyone that meets me in real life thinks I'm different on camera. You know, I think I come across like exactly the same as you see me. So for me, it's always been easy because it's always been something that I've done. Lately, though, I will say it's been really hard because there's so many platforms that I feel like I don't know how to differentiate Mm. myself across all of them. And so that is what I've been struggling with. I'm like, okay, YouTube is longer form. I can be personal on there. But then I have to remember to film like a TikTok vlog and like I have to take my phone out and film the same exact stuff I was filming on YouTube, but like in a shorter version. And then my voiceover needs to be like more captivating because I only have like 30 seconds to impress these people that are watching this. And then, you know, it's like an Instagram story. Like, what do I post on there versus TikTok without being repetitive? Or like, do I post all my TikToks on reels? Or do I need to differentiate (laughs) my personality on there? That has been really hard for me because I'm the same throughout. So I'm like, are people just going to get bored if they're seeing the same stuff across all social media platforms? Right. So that's where I struggle a lot. But it wasn't hard for me to just like be myself on camera. I mean, you bring up a great point, and I definitely don't think you're alone in that. We have so many different places to post, and so many of those places almost like require different things, like you were saying. So it's intimidating to even want to get on these other platforms. You know, like I'm sure there are still people who are hesitant to start creating on TikTok because they're like, I already have so much on my plate with Instagram or maybe YouTube or whatever it is that coming over to TikTok and like having another entire job 
on top of our other jobs. It really is. It's intimidating, but it's also just kind of overwhelming. So I don't think you're alone in that at all. It's so overwhelming. Or else like start a vlog and then I just will never finish it. So I've literally started like a million little vlogs and clips that I have on my phone that just never go anywhere because I forget. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can film a million morning routines clearly, but like (laughs) the rest of the day is like not, I I always forget (laughs) to capture it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'll tell you actually something that I found that worked well for me when I was kind of, I was making reels where I was basically doing like little pieces of my day, like self-care that I was doing throughout the day. And I was actually recording it in reels and obviously the same on TikTok. Like something about starting the video and then basically like not even having to edit it together after, but just have it like, okay, I'm going to record a clip and then put it back in my drafts. A couple hours later, come back, record a clip and put it back in my drafts. That helped me like stay consistent because then I would not have to do the editing work after. And I was kind of like at the end of the day, finish my last clip, awesome. We're ready to post. That might be something to try too. I should try that because I think the editing is is what like gets me. It's like, I'm like, oh, now yeah. it's like, I have to think about, do I have enough clips to even edit this together? Because yeah. I can't even visualize it right now until I go into my editor and edit it. So I think yeah. I should try that. I should just try <laughs> recording straight from the app. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing about TikTok is that it doesn't have like, you know, it's not as much of a production as any of the other apps. So that's why, like, mm-hmm. especially with TikTok, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll just record a couple clips. And, like, however it comes out, that's how it comes out. Like, I, I'm not going to stress over TikTok because, again, I feel like you have to create so much content that, like, by the time, you know, you get to that one that you just posted, there's probably already three more that you posted after that, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. it's it's so much less pressure almost. but. Yeah. Still enough pressure to make do it, you <laughs> to make you feel did, it. Did you find like success with those vlogs? Like, did those vlogs do well? Like your daily content, or if you did daily Honestly, content, hit or miss. Some of them did, and some of them didn't. I tried to use like a lot of trending sounds, not like sounds, but I guess like trending music that I would put in the background and stuff. And I definitely found the ones that I used trending sounds, of course, performed better. Um, but also the ones that were like it's annoying, but like prettier, you know what I mean? Like some of them, the first clip of the day was like not something really like cute and captivating. And so like those, I I know that's why they didn't perform as well as the ones that started off with like a nice, like opening my journal clip or whatever it is. So I think the, the first three seconds, first, even one second, if it's not like captivating and like pretty or whatever, that's the ones that I've realized just Mm -hmm. people must not care to watch the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's the thing. Like some of mine do well, some of them don't. I found that I think when I show my face in the first clip, it does better than if I don't. So I've been trying to do that more. That's like, I think a hundred percent a thing for sure. I'm curious to know. So like, this is actually me selfishly asking too, what would you say to someone who wants to get started on YouTube today? I, this is like my next venture is I want to get on because I've been talking about it for so long and I just am so intimidated by it because I feel like it's again it's learning a whole new platform it's building a whole new platform so I've been putting it on the back burner for a long time but I'm finally I'm like you're doing it you're just doing it so I'm curious to hear your advice I would like to hear some like logistics advice because I know like to be myself and all of that but I feel like the logistics of YouTube scare me Yeah. So YouTube definitely is a different like beast than TikTok or Instagram. I think TikTok and Instagram has made us so like everything's on our phone. Whereas YouTube, you definitely need a bit more equipment and you need more time. I will say I like vlogs on YouTube so much more than like vlogs on TikTok. Like I just like, I like feeling like I know the person and I feel like you can really feel like you know the person on YouTube. You can have it in the background when you're doing things, you know, and it just feels so much more personable and relatable. And I don't know, I love long vlogs on YouTube. Like I really, really, really like those. So for that, I would, one, you need a camera. I mean, you can use your phone, but like better quality is better for (laughs) YouTube. So I would get a camera that has like the front face, like you can like see yourself, get a like little microphone for it. So it's good quality audio. Mm -hmm. And then I would get a small camera so that it fits in your purse. Because I found that whenever I had a bigger camera, I would never vlog because like I couldn't take it places and it would just like prevent me from vlogging. So get a small, good camera. I have like the Sony ZV-1 and I love it. Um, And I think it's a really, really great camera. So I would definitely get... I have this little one. Oh yeah, I I think... think, Is that it? It might be the same one. (laughs) It's the same one. Yeah. 
That's perfect. That's what I have. Something like that. Yeah, I love this one. It is yeah, really nice. So we, and I like that the camera flips out. We've got the like little mic up here. It's yeah. doing the whole thing. And then I would use either iMovie or Final Cut Pro, like whichever one you feel comfortable with. But tell a story on YouTube in the sense of like you need to talk a lot on YouTube where TikTok, it's like just clips, like talk while you're doing things, while you're doing your makeup, while you're cooking, while you're, you know, walking down the street. Like you have to be very engaged as if they're like in the room with you and make them feel like they're in the room with you if you're doing these like daily vlogs or anything like that. And then I would also focus on like what sets you apart. There's a million day in the lives out there. So day in the life as a social media manager, day in the life as a podcaster, as a coach, as a whatever sets you apart that when people are searching that, you can come up because Google or YouTube, you have to think of as a search engine at the end of the day as well. Yeah. So things that people might search that can like make your videos last even longer than just like the day that you upload or the week that you upload it. And then I would also promote it across all of your other platforms because people are going to be curious about what you do in the day. And YouTube is a great one to actually redirect people. Like I think YouTube is one of those that like if people want to know people already find you personable on like Instagram and TikTok they're gonna want to see what you do in a day like right longer form so I would definitely like promote that across all of your platforms um so that people know and then being consistent of course is really important you have to post like at least once a week on YouTube Mm -hmm. and I would plan ahead like if I found that if I don't plan ahead my YouTube videos like I they just don't happen like the week comes by and I'm like well I didn't film anything. So I would definitely plan ahead. And you can use Rella for that if you want. So (laughs) I'm going to do like a self-promo. Yeah, that's like the logistics with it. Keep your videos Mm -hmm. around like at least 10 minutes, I would say. Like 10 minutes should be a minimum for like vlogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think it's like a story. Like you want people to have fun with the editing, like have fun with yeah. the background music and tell a story, like film one clip of you being like, oh my God, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat lunch. And then the next clip can be you preparing it with like right. background music in the back, you know? So like always visualize what the use or what like the, your viewer will see as you're talking. So you know what the next clip should be and like yeah. be able to t- make it more into like a story rather than just a bunch of clips of you talking put together. Yeah, I love that. All super helpful and I'm actually like it makes me more excited. As you were talking, I have like my my wheels are going, you know, like I'm thinking of of ideas, so I love that. So, I'm curious. Obviously, again, we have so many different platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Pinterest. I'm like I'm sure you're on all of them. So, how much time do you dedicate to like those platforms versus YouTube because with YouTube being your main platform, how like how are you managing kind of being on all of them? It's really hard. Um I definitely try to plan ahead. So I try to plan my month ahead of time mm-hmm. and I'll add everything to my calendar. Um, Instagram, I don't really plan that much ahead because like it's just kind of in the moment things. Yeah. TikTok though, I do try to have a running list of ideas that I then add to my calendar because TikTok is one of those that you need to post like every single day. Like sometimes I won't, you know, I'll just have an idea and I'll film it right away. But I find myself get, getting like paralyzed when I don't have ideas or I don't have something in the calendar. And I'm like, yep. what do I film? Like for my personal and for Rella. Cause I also have Rella's TikTok account that I'm doing all the videos for myself. And like with that, we hired someone to do the content calendar for us. So they're literally planning out the entire content calendar. They're telling me what to say, what caption, what hashtags, what they're giving me the trending sound to use. I literally just have to film it because... I can't mentally like come up with those ideas along with my personal stuff, along with like everything else. So planning ahead helps so much. Like if you're someone that gets into like mental ruts, whenever you feel any sense of inspiration, write it in your notes, add it to a calendar, take note of it because you won't remember when you're feeling like trapped (laughs) in that mental rut. So planning is like the only thing I think that really, really helps. And then also with TikTok, with how it is so casual, if you have an idea and you can film it in that exact moment, just film it really quickly, edit it on TikTok and upload it and like see, because if it flops, who cares? Like, it's not like it hurts you. So right, try to be like spontaneous. But if, if you can't, because I know sometimes I get ideas in the worst times when I like don't have any makeup on, I look horrible, I'm in the dark. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm going to like right. film this tomorrow, but I have to write it down right. and plan ahead or else I will forget. Yeah, I'm exactly the same way. I have just this running list of 
all the ideas that I have, or even when I'm like scrolling and I'm, I get kind of inspired by like an idea that someone else had. And I'm like, oh, well, what if I tried this, but this way? And I'll literally write this all on this master list. So then when it comes time to film my, my TikTok videos, I'm like, okay, I don't even have to think about this. Let me go to my list. I'll pull something from there. And then, you know, I just kind of go through that every day. Um, so yeah, I think planning ahead for ideas specifically, I think is a great way to stay consistent because you just, it takes like the hard creative work out of it. You know, like mm-hmm. you can be creative when you, when you feel it, write it down. And then later you don't really need to worry about that. So how did you go from, you know, YouTuber to someone who is, you know, running a startup, running an entire business aside from your YouTube now? How did you know that it was the right time? Like what made you kind of decide, okay, I'm going to make this big move? For me, it was just, I had this idea and I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was just an idea that I, it was, it wasn't like I th- sat down one day and was like, I want to start a business. Like, what should it be? Right. It was just, I had it and I like became obsessed with it and I was, I wanted to do it so badly because I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so once I started doing research, once I started kind of like moving the needle and like the ball started rolling with this idea, it just snowballed and like I couldn't stop because I became like really obsessed with doing it. Right. So for me, it wasn't like this is the right time. It was more so like, oh my God, I want to do this and I'm just going to do whatever it takes to, to get this done. So it wasn't like, I mean, and I, and I also never gave up content creation. So I'm still doing it today. Right. So I just was like, I'm going to do this alongside this. And then eventually like one might take over the other. But I think that the greatest part about being a content creator is the flexibility you have and the fact that you can do so much with it. Because right. let's be honest, like, yes, it takes a lot of time. I'm not saying that. Like, it does take a lot of time. But you have, make your own schedule. You can batch film and then have the rest of the week to do whatever you want. You can... Right. You know, there is, there's so much that goes into it, but it does allow you the ability to try other things on the side as well. And it allows you... I always view social media as like a stepping stone. I never wanted me being a content creator to be the the goal. Like, yes, I always wanted to do that. And like, I wanted to make a career out of it. Right. But I always wanted it to open up doors. Like, it was more so like, I'm going to become a creator and I'm going to do this because I'm going to be able to then open up doors and it, it, I have so many more opportunities and I'm going to be able to start a business aside, like alongside this one. Yeah. And it's going to be helpful and that was always my goal with it. And I think once creators start beginning to see themselves as businesses, that is when a ton of opportunities happen. So like, yes, being a creator should be your goal, but it should also be your goal to make it into a business so that those doors can open and that you can do whatever else you want also. Yeah, that's a great perspective to have because again, like I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like, I want to be a creator and that's what I want to do. But I think we talked about this on a recent episode. Like it's very hard to only depend on your creator income. You know, like it's very, some months it's really great. Some months it's really horrible. And there's a lot of, you know, like wishy-washy kind of feelings when it comes to the income. So I think having some other form of income, again, whether it's, you know, another business you start or just different forms of content creation, whatever it is, I think you do have to have something else because it's very difficult to just count on being a creator forever. You know, like you, we just never know where it's going. Also, that's the other thing that like, you know, no one could care about creators in five years. And then where does that leave you? You know, so I think it is a mindset shift that's necessary for creators. And maybe to start thinking about it now, you know, like, what are the other things you love? What are the ideas that you have that you're really excited about? And how can being a creator help you get to those ideas? You have co-founders too. So I would love to hear like a little bit more about that relationship and how that started. Yeah. So what Rella is, it is an app and it's also like browser-based as well. So it is a tech startup and I am not someone that knows how to code. I don't know how to Mm. develop something like this. So I knew that I needed help with bringing this to life. Like it was not, it was out of my control in the sense of like building the product itself. Yeah. And so that's when I started like looking into developers and trying to see how much this would cost me and what, you know, who could do this. And 
I met my co-founders while I was asking around, like, does anyone know anyone that can help me develop this product? And so I asked one of my really good friends from college if he knows anyone that, you know, maybe went to our school because we went to NC State is like a really big engineering school. Like it has other things, mm-hmm. but it's like really big into engineering. So I was like, there's got to be like someone there that knows how to do this. Yeah. So I asked him if he knew anyone and he knew my now co-founder because he knew him because he had my co-founder had started a software consultancy um, where they were like developing apps for different startups in Raleigh, North Carolina. (laughs) So I was like, oh, perfect. Like, let me, let me talk to him. He had a co-founder for that software consultancy. We started working together just like as like a client, like I was like paying them to help me with this. Mm -hmm. They really loved what I was doing and really believed in what I was doing. And I loved working with them and I really trusted them. And so six months later, we decided to form an actual partnership and like actually become co-founders. But we did not start off as friends. We did not start off as like, we didn't know each other in the beginning. It was like a business relationship. And also we spent a lot of time working together before we made that decision. And I actually really recommend that. I think that if we started out as friends, things could have gone south Mm -hmm. a lot quicker because I just, I would never start a business with a friend, like ever. I just... Been there, done that, would never do it again. (laughs) I would never. Yeah, I wouldn't because you see them, it's really hard to separate, you know, business from friendship. Mm -hmm. And in a business, you need very distinct roles. Like you need to have very different roles so that you're not walking all over each other. Because if you and the other person have the same role and then you disagree, you're going to fight, you're going to get into conflict. And, And you need distinct roles because at the, like once things settle, you guys need to know exactly what you're doing. And one, if one person isn't pulling their weight because they don't know what to do, then you're going to like, it's going to cause an issue Mm -hmm. and you're probably going to like split. Either you guys are going to leave the company, both of you, and the company's going to fail or one person is going to have to leave and it's going to cause a lot of drama. And if there's like, there's so much legal stuff that goes into that. And so Mm -hmm. I actually, if you do start a business with a friend, make sure that you are doing so like polar different, like such different things and make sure that both of you like pull your weight because yeah, that's why I really liked that we started it as a business relationship. So I viewed them right. in the lens of just business. Like, do I like working with these people? Do I trust them as business partners? Yeah. Like, and that helped so much more. Now I consider them like my family. Like we're literally like best friends, like in the sense of we've talked to each other all the time. They're the person I talk to more than anyone. Like I right. really like we've just developed such a personal relationship through this. But if I think if it started like that, it would have been messy. So I'm really glad that it didn't. And then always like test out working with them before you go into business with them because people's working styles are so different. And you want to make sure that you're on the same page because at the end of the day, it's like a marriage. Like it really is. So I'm going to be working with these guys for a very long time. <laughs> so right. it's it's not something that you can like make in, in a really short amount of time. And it's not something that you shouldn't like put a lot of thought into. You should have really hard conversations regarding equity, regarding roles, regarding everything, like from the beginning when things are not like right. heightened, when you're not fighting. And then that way it's like a good setup for, for the future. So I've gone through some things also with, with co-founders before. So like, this is all my lessons for what I've learned. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I did a whole solo episode telling my story of this and I, I got into a partnership with someone who did start off as my best friend. And at the end of it, it was me selling my half of the business to her. It definitely caused a lot of drama. We were definitely not friends anymore. And, you know, like we lost our friendship over it, which obviously is unfortunate. But like, yeah, the the mess that was formed from that business, <laughs> it was it was a learning experience to say the least. And again, like I feel the same way. I would never get into a business with someone who I've considered a friend first. It's just, it's way too hard to separate the two. And there's just way too many things that could go wrong. Like I remember having so many feelings about her not pulling her weight and me feeling like I was doing everything. And I felt so like conflicted because I was like, well, I know this is a business, but also like, I don't want to tell her she's not doing anything because it's going to hurt her feelings. And like, it was a hot mess. So yeah, I would a hundred thousand percent agree with that. Just don't do it. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I've, trust me, gone through co-founder issues before, had to learn the hard way. And so now I'm like preaching this to everyone. Honestly, honestly. So what was the process of like of building an app? Like I I think about it all the time. I'm like, oh, I have ideas for a cool app. But I just, again, feel like the process is so intimidating and just so crazy. Like it's nice that you have these people to, to help you that knew more about the software development that you did, obviously. But like the whole process of like figuring out what people want and how people were going to use this app, like what was all of that like? Yeah. So thankfully I did have them to like develop it and yeah. you definitely need someone to do that if you're going to build something like this. But sure. and it doesn't have to be co-founders. You can outsource things and hire people, hire agencies. But I definitely, depending on like what where you want to take it, I would consider co-founders if it's something you want to like continue to build and eventually either like get acquired or IPO or whatever your goal is for it. Like it just depends. But for me with starting it, I had this idea. I became obsessed with it. I was the user. You know, it came from a pain point that I had, but I wanted to validate it with other people. So I started talking to a lot of people. I started interviewing other creators. I started looking at competitors and like what they're doing and why is this not exactly out there yet? Researching the market. I started talking to other founders. So I would like reach out to other founders and be like, hi, can I just like talk to you for 15 minutes and just ask you a few questions. Even if they weren't in my space, I just wanted to hear like what it's like to start a business. And honestly, once the ball started rolling for me, it was like I couldn't stop it. Like it was, it just started moving and I started building and I started working on it along. So we did, I did a lot of user research before I started building, but I also continued doing it as we were building. And I still do it a lot to this day. I mean, I've, we've talked to you, I think like, yeah, multiple times and asking questions like we just always want to understand the creator perspective and like our user perspective because just because I have a pain point doesn't mean everyone else does also the creator world changes so fast that like you always need to keep up so I would definitely recommend the first thing to do before you do anything is talk to people talk to other founders talk to whoever your user is talk to them talk to people that could help you with this talk to people who have done it before just talk to as many people as possible because those people will then lead you to other people. People are very friendly. They will introduce you to someone that, you know, you th- that they think that you will like benefit from. Right. And people are so willing to help. Like I was amazed at how willing people were to help when I was like going through this and even today. And then once we kind of figured out like where we wanted this to go, what the future we wanted it to look like, like it wasn't just a little project. It was like a full on company we started realizing that we need money. So we went the raising money route. But with that, like you have to be able to dedicate pretty much 100% of your time on it. Like it has to be something that this is not a side hustle anymore. If you go that route, investors, if someone is giving you money, they are expecting you to put in all your time into it, which is why content for me has definitely taken a back burner. But I also view it as those are our new users. It's helping me connect to our audience. It's a free marketing channel for us. So it still has to do with Rella. But right. it's definitely something that like Rella takes... Rella is my like number one priority right now. And it's what I've been working on for every single day for like the past year-ish, a little over a year. And so definitely just like talking to people was the first thing I did. And then eventually you'll figure out what you need to do. Like every business is different, but right. you'll figure it out once you start researching and actually having real conversations with, with people in that industry or, or similar ones. Right. Yeah, I think that market research is the most important part. Like I always hear that, you know, you don't want to create the product before you know if it's even Mm -hmm. a problem, you know, and again, like you could have a pain point, but like, who knows if everyone else has got it solved, you know, so talking to people definitely not only figures helps you figure out if there is actually a need for whatever you're creating, but also helps you figure out exactly what that need is and all the details of it so that you can tailor your product to exactly, you know, what your customer actually needs. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious, the, again, like very intimidating, the thought of like finding people, investors who are going to, you know, you have to pitch yourself to them and like be super confident that this is going to actually make money, you know, like from a startup perspective, you guys are just figuring it out. So I'm sure it's very scary to be able to go in front of people and say, I need this money from you and I'm going to give it back to you. So Mm -hmm. what was that process like of actually selling yourself to investors? 
Yeah, it was definitely such a learning curve for me. It's I've never done anything like that. I was never in school. I never was involved with like entrepreneurship or anything like that where I did like pitches or demo days or yeah. anything. I hate public speaking. I don't like like I'm not someone that is was ever involved in that like pitching myself way at all. So yeah, it was such a learning curve. I also didn't have any investor connections. So it wasn't like, oh, my dad works in venture capital or like I know someone that works in that's an investor or someone like my family knows nothing about that world. And so it was it wasn't something that I could just kind of like ask people like, hey, can you introduce me to this person? So the first investors I think I spoke to I started looking at my LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn a lot. So one, I started looking at LinkedIn, seeing if I had any investors in my connections. I was like, do I know anyone that is an investor or worked at an investment fund or firm or whatever? Mm -hmm. Then I started looking at my school that I graduated from. So I went to NC State. They have an entrepreneurship program. I wasn't involved in it, but I started reaching out to professors and I was like, hi, I'm, you know, a recent alum. I'd love to talk to you about this idea that I have. And they started just helping me out with like... That's awesome. Like giving me tips and pointers. And, you know, my co-founders also did some research into that. So that they had also... We kind of were all like learning together. But talking to people that were like in that world without actually pitching myself with just being like, how do I start pitching myself really helped. Yeah. And then speaking like speaking to people that worked at investing companies even if I didn't know them like it was people like I remember I reached out to a girl that was a year older than me but we went to high school together and I like knew her brother at one point and I just dm'd her I was like hi like I don't know if you remember me but I see that you were an intern at this company like last year I'd love to talk to you because I'm trying to do this and they would respond and we would set up a Zoom and like we would talk and I would ask questions. And then she was like, oh, yeah, let me introduce you to this person. And then right. you, you grow your network by just like putting yourself out there and being shameless and asking to meet whoever. And then they'll introduce you. So like we found our lead investor through someone that DM'd me, I think. I think she watched my videos or something. I don't know how we met, but it was a founder that was like, hi, like I'm also a female founder. Like, let's connect. And I say yes to a lot of those conversations because you right. never like you never know what's going to happen. And also, if I can help someone or they can help me or we can just become friends, like yeah. whatever. So I took that call. We talked. We connected. And then I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm raising money. She, had, she hadn't raised money. Her like company didn't raise money. But she was like, oh, but like my friend actually just raised money. So let me connect you with him. And so then... I connected with her friend who I did not know. Yeah. He was like, oh, well, yeah, we just raised. If you want an intro to any of our investors, let me know. So then I looked at his investors and I was like, yes, can I int- get introduced to this person, this person, this person? And then we did. And then one of them became our lead investors. So wow. it was like, it's all about making connections and you will learn from other people. So, I mean, the basics is like, okay, you need a pitch deck. So your pitch deck needs to tell a story. So if you're not actually, you know, it needs to tell the problem, it needs to tell the solution, it right. needs to tell why you're the team, the market size, and why this business is going to be successful, like, and and your traction, if you have any. So mm-hmm. that needs to be like the story on on the deck. And you need to make it captivating. And you need to be incredibly confident. And you need to tell investors why this is going to be like a billion dollar company, because they're not investing if it's not a big yeah. company, <laughs> like they want to make money. That's the whole point. Right. So needs to tell that story, needs to say why this is going to be a great company and also why you're the team to do it. So with me, it was like my social media experience as a content creator. And then in terms of like everything else, like learning how to pitch, just start talking to people and start, you're you're in just casual conversation, you'll begin pitching and people will start asking you questions and then you'll start realizing the questions that you need right. to like know and how to make it clearer. Like I had asked someone, another guy, he was a founder in Raleigh, no idea who he was, no idea how he connected. And I was just like, can I send you the deck and can you look over it and give me feedback? And he gave me a bunch of feedback. We got on a Zoom call. He like ripped it to shreds, which was like the best thing that anyone could have done. And it just continued to get better. And I continued to ask people for feedback and like you have to ask, you have to put yourself out there and make connections and If you don't have any, it doesn't matter. You can use LinkedIn, you can use Instagram, you can use Twitter and you will make those connections and meet people. So yeah, that's like the the biggest thing I recommend. That's such a cool story. Like it's crazy to hear how like this random conversation in your DMs blossomed into this conversation, blossomed into this, you know, like again, it's, it's really crazy to think about like 
the people you meet, you never know what kind of doors they're going to open for you or help you open. And and honestly, just being able to put yourself out there really does make all the difference. Even I think with like getting, again, getting started on TikTok or, you know, posting that reel that you've been debating if you should post, like something so small like that, you would be so surprised by what kind of doors that it can open for, for you. And so really, I think the goal, the whole idea of being a creator is really just about putting yourself out there and seeing where it takes you. And I think it's the same as a business owner. So it's it's really cool to hear that that's really like how you built your business. Yeah. And also, I think I talked to like 200 investors before anyone said yes. So wow, it's a lot of persistence. Like you are going to hear no so many times. So it's also similar like content creation. Like maybe you post 200 videos and none of them do well, but the 201 video (laughs) does well. And it's just all about persistence. And so I've always been using this like motto. This has been like my 2022 motto. And it's it's not if it happens. It's like when it happens. Like I know it's going to happen eventually. It might be in two years from now, but like it's going to happen. It's just like, I just don't know when it's going to happen. So that's like what I've been telling myself. Like when we were raising money, it was like, it's not if we raise money, it's when we're going to raise money because it will happen. It's just going to take some time. And so yeah, it did. did. (laughs) Exactly. And it's the same thing again for content creators. Yes. With videos, but even for like content creators, when it comes to pitching, like we send out a hundred pitches, half of them, probably more than half of them don't even get a response. And then how many of those actually turn into a successful partnership? Like maybe one, (laughs) maybe two, Exactly. you know, so like you really do have to be persistent and have the mindset of like, it's going to happen again, but like, I have to just keep putting myself out there in order for these doors to actually open for me. So that's definitely a thing for, I think all business owners or creators to, to keep in mind for sure. Exactly. I love it. Well, this was so awesome. I think it definitely got people really inspired to those ideas that they have to actually like focus on them and figure out if that's something they want to move forward with and like pursue and then actually hearing how they can kind of do it and a real story of how you've done it, I think is definitely very inspiring. So I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was such a fun episode. I haven't really talked about like the raising part or like the investor part in a podcast recently. So it was fun to talk about it. It's so interesting again, because like, where do you get that information? You know, like it's not something that you can like really hear people's stories of very much. So mm-hmm. I definitely really appreciate you sharing it. That's something like from watching you from afar. I'm always like, damn, like, how did she do that? Because I don't even know where I would start with that. So it's cool to hear how you did it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And we will see all of you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Social Scoop brought to you by Your Social Mate, where we help entrepreneurial creators learn how to monetize and turn their online influence into a legitimate, profitable, and self-sustaining business. We hope you absolutely love this episode and come back every Tuesday for a new one. If you really enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review here and send us a DM to let us know your favorite part. We're an open book if you ever want to discuss episodes. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at KBOUSQ. We'll see you next week.